All right, we are in uh, Galatians chapter 2 today. We're, we're starting in chapter 2. Um, when you go through, has anybody, I don't know if anybody's went ahead and read or not, but does anybody remember Galatians chapter 2? If not, that's okay. But uh, when we go through and read it, or maybe when you get home, maybe read the whole chapter, you'll, uh, you'll see it's kind of a hard chapter to, it's a, it's a good chapter to read, but it sure is a hard chapter to speak on. Um, to me at least, I found it a little difficult. There's not a, there's not a lot of bumper sticker or t-shirt slogans in it because, you know, nobody runs around with a shirt that says not even Titus was circumcised. So it's just, uh, it's a little bit of a rough one for, for me it was at least, but there is good stuff in here to talk about. Uh, just, uh, give me a little bit of grace on this chapter though, because it is, it is an interesting one. So we're going to be doing uh, verses 1 through 10 today. 1 through 10 is what we're going to be on. And I'm going to, instead of reading it all ahead, I'm going to read it as we, as we kind of go through it. So, <clears throat> if somebody was to give you cliff notes on this chapter, though, it would essentially be what chapter 1 was, was that... Um, Somebody was saying that to be saved, you need Jesus plus something else. So it, it's congruent with what we've been talking about, as it should be. But starting in uh, verse 1 here, verse 1 and 2, it says, Then after an interval of 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. It was because of a revelation that I went up, and I submitted to them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that somehow I might be running or had run in vain. So, excuse me, Paul is, Paul is talking of the gospel that he has been sharing with the Gentiles for 14 years now. He's been out there for a long time and he is stressing that this gospel that he's sharing given to him by God, not by men. And the fact that he hasn't been to Jerusalem in 14 years, in a way, kind of reinforces that because obviously he has not been sitting at the apostles' feet learning from them. He was given this revelation from God of what the gospel was, and that's what he's been doing. So the reason, though, that he's, he's wanting to go up to, this, to Jerusalem to speak with the apostles finally after 14 years, you know, the... There is a concern that if it's not addressed, maybe the maybe we'll divide the church or maybe put a blotch on the church. So God gave him the revelation to go up here, to go up to Jerusalem. It wasn't his own urging. God said, Paul, you need to go to Jerusalem and talk with these people. And this is probably referencing this is the this is the cool thing about um, any of Paul's epistles. Usually, I think all of them. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you can follow them in the book of Acts as well because that details as he was going from town to town as well. So usually that follows. And this is kind of in reference to Acts chapter 11 when he brought, uh, he brought different uh, monies and things like that to the Christians in Jerusalem because they were suffering under a big famine at that time. So people were starving to death. Uh, but he's concerned that if he doesn't address this, that it will seem like he has run in vain. Now, he's not saying that 
that he's afraid that he has been preaching the wrong gospel. He knows that the gospel has come to him from God. What he's saying is that if this is not addressed, people will think that he has been running in vain, that he has been preaching the wrong gospel. So, and he doesn't know, because it's not like today where you can pick up the telephone and just call Peter or Paul uh, or uh, John or somebody and say, hey, what are you guys talking about up there? It takes a little bit more to get a letter there, to, you know, to get a message sent. So he is concerned that maybe they're preaching something different because he's hearing different. Okay? He's hearing, as we've talked about in chapter 1, that Jewish people are saying that if you want to be a Christian, you need to become a Jew first. That's what he's hearing from them. So this threatens to negate what he has been preaching to the gospel, to, to the uh, uh, Gentiles in case they hear this. So, Paul knows what the gospel is. He just doesn't know what they're saying up there just in case. So, he takes Barnabas, who is a well-respected person in Jerusalem among the apostles, and he takes Titus with him, which is ironic because Titus is a Gentile convert. So, Titus is exactly who this issue would be talking about. <clears throat> so he's taking these two, and also keep in mind, uh, if you ever get a chance to read 2 Corinthians, Paul thinks quite a bit of Titus. He is a very trusted person with him. So it wasn't he just grabbed some random Gentile convert and said, hey, come with me to Jerusalem. This is a guy that he really has respect for, somebody who's working with him in the ministry. <clears throat> so, essentially... Paul is saying that I have these steep convictions of what the gospel is. And he's very clear on that in all of his epistles. But he's saying that these are my, this is the gospel that I'm preaching. This is the gospel that was given to me from God. I have these convictions. So when we read these, it should have us to reflect what is our convictions? What are our convictions when it comes to the gospel? Specifically the Gospel, but also God's Word. <clears throat> have you ever had you ever had a revelation from God? A truly powerful experience in your life where you feel like God told you something very, new, very perhaps new to you? Something you didn't know? That can be a powerful experience for a person. So, God has a very set standard of what He has laid out for us in His Word. And if God comes and tells you a revelation, who are, how are we to question? Who are we to question? So, let's go with a hypothetical here. I had a revelation, okay? Most powerful thing I've ever experienced in my life, okay? This revelation came straight from God. It wasn't from anybody else. Jim didn't come up and tell me one day. This was from God. And He told me that if we are to maintain our salvation, to keep our salvation, there's something new that we need to do that we have not been doing. We need to wear purple socks. Okay? Everybody needs to go out and get a pair 
of purple socks right away. Now, I know that God gave me this revelation, so there's no questioning it. I know He spoke to me, and He said, Carlos, you need to tell these people to go out to Walmart right now and get their purple socks. And when you say, well, what do you mean? Isn't that a a works? Isn't that a works that you're trying to tell us that we need to do? And I can come up here and I can tell you, I can tell you, look, the Word reinforces what I'm saying. If I go to the book of James, I can say, but you are willing to acknowledge, foolish person, that, that faith without works is useless. Was our father Abraham not justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was working in his works. Just as a result of the works, faith was perfected. You see that a person is justified by works and not faith alone. God has told me that we have to have these purple socks from Walmart to maintain our salvation. If you want to see the kingdom of heaven, this is what you need to do. The Scriptures talk about these works and say that we need to do these things. They need to be worn a certain way. They need to be worn on a certain day, perhaps on the Sabbath. They need to be washed in cold water only. We don't want them to shrink. So, we continue in James. And it says, In the same way that Rahab the prostitute was not justified by works, also when she received the, was she not justified by works also when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith with, without works is dead. So if I tell you these things, I tell you this ridiculous nonsense that you need to wear purple socks, or maybe it's you have to get a certain tattoo, or something like that, right? Just some kind of requirement for salvation. If I, if I make it very convincing and it's not something silly like socks, how firm is your gospel conviction? How firm is your gospel conviction that you will, will you be able to tell me you're acting a little heretical at this moment? Because God has spoken and He has laid out a foundation for us. Carlos, we don't need these socks. We don't need these works. You can't tamper with what He has said. Because even if a person or an angel of light brings you a different Gospel, we are not to accept it. In fact, that messenger is to be damned. For God's Word tells us with certainty what? God's Word tells us that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved and your household. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And the one who does not work but believes in Him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Therefore, we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. In Him also, when you, hear, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, and were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. So we know 
if we have a conviction, if we live in the Word and we have these words dwelling in our heart, that if somebody comes up with something ridiculous like this, we know that faith without works is dead is talking of a saving faith that produces fruit, not a set of requirements for you to do to become a Christian, to have salvation. That is why having a good, strong conviction is important because people will try to lead you astray. Anybody can fall and they can try to bring you down with them. Lots of congregations have had it happen. Lots of Christian cults still currently working have it happen. So this is something important to remember. As far as teachers and preachers go, I'm I'm mediocre in comparison. But if you were to remember one thing, I would hope it would be to remember the requirements that the Gospel gives us, which is that faith in Christ is what saves us, nothing else. If you remembered one thing, that would be my pride. Because anything else, any works-based religion is just a it's just a damnation to hell because you will never earn your way to heaven. We can't do it. So, sorry to get on a little tirade there, but let's go to verses 3 through 5 here. <clears throat> We're going to get a little bit more on Titus here. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Yet it was a concern because of the false brothers secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy on our freedom, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to enslave us. But we did not yield in subjection to them even for an hour so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. So like I said, that first line there with Titus, not a great bumper sticker title, but It is important here because Titus was coming into this situation as a Gentile convert among these people discussing a doctrinal issue. So, grace was observed here, not the law. That's why it says that not even Titus was compelled to be circumcised. He knew he didn't have to be. He didn't have to become a Jew first to become a Christian. That was the important part. That was. That's why they say that there. And you see... We don't have any, any evidence here that the leadership in Jerusalem had any qualms with Titus. They didn't say, oh no, he's not with us. They accepted him as a Christian. So they accepted the fact that he did not need to become a Jew first. That's important. Especially important when we get into the latter half of this chapter. <clears throat> so, The leadership was, like I said, on the same page as Paul on the Gospel of Grace. But if they had gotten it wrong, which is why Paul went up there, there would have been repercussions, which is why it was important for Paul to make sure on this. Because it would have messed with the ministry to other people, whether that be past ministry or future. People might have walked away or assimilated into this new thought. People would have lost their freedom and become slaves. We talked about this last week, maybe, I think, uh, about how when you, when you come to Christ, you are no longer a slave to sin. Well, this is a way to go backwards. 
to become a slave to sin because they would essentially be going into works, into living under the law. And if you want to try to earn your salvation, you're going to have to try to keep those Ten Commandments every day, every second, every hour for the rest of your life. I implore anybody to even just for, just for the fun of it, keep a couple of those commandments in your mind and go through your day and see when, oops, when you mess up. I guarantee you the Jews back then couldn't do it. We can't do it now. So that's what happens. That's what, was, that, that's what Paul was afraid of happening here. So the last thing that would have happened here, well, maybe not the last, but one of the things, would be essentially that they would have been exchanging the truth with which they had in Christ Jesus for a lie. They would have been into this, this misleading optimism which says, I've done this, I'm good now. Right? That's what they would have been going into. And they would have been, they would have been essentially just walking away from the gospel of grace because you don't earn grace. So it's a loss of freedom... And it was dangerous because Paul could sit back and say, well, if they want to act like this, it's not going to affect me. It would have spread throughout the church. The church was especially at that time needing good doctrine, which we always do. But you got to remember that this is when the church was taking off. This is its inception. So they did not need this kind of poison coming in right at the beginning. It wouldn't have been good for us today, I can guarantee you that, if they'd have been allowed to stay. <clears throat> so, Paul was so concerned on this that he even gave these people a not-so-nice title here, if you notice, in verse 4. He calls them false brothers. False brothers. That's not a very... It may sound pretty trivial right here on paper, but if you've got a strong conviction and somebody comes up and calls you a false brother or sister... That's going to that's gonna sting a little bit. You might even get a little mad. That's not a good title for somebody to give you, especially an apostle to give you. So, these are people that in all likelihood had, had no business fellowshipping with the Christians. Uh, they may have even, may have even crashed this, this meeting of the apostles, for all we know, and said, well, this is what we think you guys need to start teaching. That's, that's possible that that happened here. And that's the kind of people that they were dealing with. And this is exactly why Scripture talks about, in the rare occasion when you need it, expelling people from a congregation. Because sometimes, and I'm not talking about the average person sitting in the pew, but sometimes you will have somebody who will bring in a doctrine like this and they will try to convert everyone else to it. They will try to justify it publicly so that other people will consider it. And if it's something as blatantly wrong like this, that's why Scripture talks about expelling people sometimes from a congregation. You don't want somebody bringing a works-based salvation in and all of a sudden half your congregation believes that. That would be a bad deal. <clears throat> so verse 6 here, But those who were of considerable repute, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no favoritism. Well, those who were of repute contributed nothing to me. So just like in that, in this day and in that day, sometimes there are famous Christians. In human measurement, at least, they are famous. you got to remember that Paul is going up to talk with people 
at the inception of this faith. It's exploding across the Roman world. And he's going to go and he's going to meet with the people who walked with Jesus, ministered with him for three years, saw him go on the cross. I mean, these are his apostles, the people who were with him in his ministry. And Paul is the guy who persecuted them. So if somebody was to have human fame, it would have been the apostles. But Paul says there is no uh, reputation amongst God. God doesn't care about your status. I don't either. That's what Paul is saying. None of this matters when we have our face-to-face with Christ eventually. He's not going to say, well, look how popular you were. You had all those likes on Facebook. Man, everybody loved you. None of that is going to matter. That's not going to matter. The purple socks isn't going to matter. Um, Circumcision, which they were concerned with at that point, is not going to matter. So, none of those things do. And thank God, because Christ saves us all in our sins. So we all didn't meet the standard, especially when we came to Christ. I'm going to go through the last couple verses here, and then we'll finish up uh, 7 through 10, where it says, But on the contrary, seeing that I have been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, and this is going to be important when we get to the uh, next Sunday, when we get to the next half of this. For he who was at, who was at work in Peter, for Peter and his, his apostleship to the circumcised, was at work for me also to the Gentiles. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was also I was eager to do. So, this is kind of closing out the first half of this. Paul had raised an issue. He came to the apostles, and they were unified in common ground of what the gospel was. That is really important because next week is going to be kind of funny because they they came in unification of this, and yet we have an incident later in Antioch. So. They agreed that people did not need to come under the Mosaic Law to find God's love, to find His salvation. And now Paul is sharing what had occurred here to the Galatians for their benefit because they were dealing with these kind of issues as well. So this is a, a, good, a good time to reflect on our role as a Christian, as a, as a child of God, you know, for us to learn our roles, because that's what Peter and Paul were doing here. They were pretty much settling into, okay, I will go to these people, you can go to these people. They didn't exclusively minister them, but that was their main point of each other's ministries. And they were okay with that. They weren't trying to overlap. They Each one had a different calling. So for us, it's the same deal. We have to think about what our calling is in the body of Christ, because everyone has one. The only question is whether or not everyone has answered that calling. And I can't tell you what your calling is. Your neighbor can't. Your spouse can't. It's between you and God on what you should be doing for the body of Christ. Everybody's job is different, and it changes. Next Sunday, I could be sitting over there and holding Eleanor.
So you just never know how things will work out. But Paul was being appointed to mainly be, which he had already been doing anyways, but he was to be the chief apostle to the Gentiles. It's kind of a funny thought, but think about this for a second here. Paul is, and this is just a side issue, something I, I get these little weird thoughts in my head. So Paul is the chief apostle to the Gentiles. Peter is the chief apostle to the Jews. Why is Paul not regarded as the first pope in the Roman Catholic Church? Isn't that kind of funny? Because that's essentially what the Roman Catholic Church was, was a Gentile church. It's kind of funny that they don't, they don't consider Paul to be the, the pope, if you will, uh, to them. Just something to think about. I, I don't know why that kind of stuff pops in my head. But, <clears throat> but it doesn't matter anyways, because pope or not, newly converted Christian or 50-year Christian, God has no respect for our reputations. He loves us all the same. We all earn the same salvation. But, I say but, it would have been very interesting to, I mean, can you imagine having been a fly on the wall back then at this meeting to be able to see these apostles meet, these people who had the first-hand experience with Christ? I mean, that's... That's one of the things that I kind of look... I mean, I don't want to die right now, but when I do die, I do look forward to meeting these people to see... I mean, you got to have some stories, I would imagine. <laughs> so that's got to be something to look forward to. However, being a fly on the wall in that room has uh, nothing on being a fly on the wall in the next room on the latter half when we talk about what happened when they went to Antioch. And if you want a preview of that, obviously, you can read your scriptures and see what I'm talking about, but there's going to be an incident next week in Antioch, which, I would, uh, which would have been very interesting to see.